If you don't know, and if you're just new to Veritas, um, I am actually going to be going on sabbatical uh, this summer. And so um, this summer, for the next three months, starting tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be away. I'm going to uh, be with my family, spending intentional time for rest. And there's a couple of things I want you to know, whether you're a covenant partner here or not, uh, just some things that may be coming to mind for you that you're like, uh-oh, maybe... Uh, maybe he can answer those questions for me on the front end of this. Number one, um, I'm not disappearing uh, from Veritas for the next three months. So you can expect to see me around here. Uh, I won't be here every single Sunday, but I'll be regularly worshiping alongside of you guys um, over the next three months. So you can expect to see my face with my family here um, in the seats at Veritas on a Sunday morning, but I won't be leading the staff. I'm not going to be doing anything from the stage. I'm not going to go to the back to pray with you as one of your elders I'll be intentionally taking time away from those things. And then number two, Kylie and I, my wife, uh, we are going to be working with and have already started working with a sabbatical coach that's going to help us walk through the next three months in a way to really uh, invest in each other, invest in ourselves, and see uh, real life and health and growth and rest develop in both of us as we intentionally spend these three months uh, away and uh, we need guides in life to be able to help us do those things. So an outside voice to be able to speak into us and speak into our sabbatical plan, all the goals we've set during those times, and say, maybe, maybe don't try to read 20 books while you're on sabbatical. Maybe, try, maybe not to bring some of those goals down and like actually take a break from uh, just doing too many things. Those, those voices have been very welcome. And finally, um, if you're connected in Veritas in any way, uh, I want to just ask something of you, uh, and that is your prayers uh, to bring us refreshment. Um, as a family, uh, we've been uh, doing ministry alongside of one another, me and pastoral ministry, for almost a decade, and um, that is just a, a while in, in ministry, and you kind of go through a lot of things. We've seen a lot of things in our time uh, that's relatively short in ministry, and me being relatively young, and so we need your prayers for refreshment. Yes, we've got, a, we've got a cruise lined up. We've got some time at the beach. Like some family we don't even know, like that just heard that we were going sabbatical and was like, I love to gift pastors with gifts like this. And so he gave us a week at the beach at his beach house. It's just amazing. It's just incredible things that God's just provision on display. Uh, but we're going to take camping trips and do all those things. But more than all of that kind of physical rest stuff and enjoyment stuff, we need soul rest our souls and have our hearts made happy in Jesus. And um, we are depending on your prayers for that. And so uh, before we move forward, I just want to pray again for us uh, as we move into a sermon about rest this morning. Would you pray alongside of me, church? Jesus, as we come to your word, uh, as we talk about rest, as we, um, as we have the elementary class with us this morning here in the gathering, God, I pray that you'd be with us, you'd be in the hearts and minds um, of all believers to stir our affections anew for you, Jesus. God, if um, those, for those of us here that aren't followers of Jesus, I pray that they would be, um, just accept that same welcome into the rest that only you can provide, Jesus, and the rest that only you can truly offer for our souls. And no vacation, no time away, no um, amount of time invested in this thing or that can bring, but true rest that's finally found in you and ceasing from our labors and coming to you, Jesus, to have our hearts made happy in you, to enjoy you, would actually happen this morning in this gathering. Uh, we pray for your help, Lord Jesus, um, and that we pray all these things in your name. Amen. 
So uh, naturally, over the past number of months in preparing for sabbatical, I've been thinking a lot about rest. Uh, and no matter if you grew up in the church or not, you've probably heard this word from Matthew chapter 11, uh, where Jesus says, come to me, all who labor or heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You've been walking around in like uh, one of those big box stores and seeing that on a coffee mug, you know, like uh, that's just kind of something we all, uh, in, a, in a society that's exposed to Jesus in any way, you've probably heard this before. But the question then remains is if, uh, if this is true, that Jesus says, you know, come to me all your labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, and we claim to be followers of Jesus, why aren't all of us just the happiest, most rested, uh, most contented people on the planet all the time? I don't know about you, but some of the most frazzled, uh, absolutely stressed out of their mind, anxious people I know were Christians. Like, why is this the case? Uh, why aren't we all having our needs met in Jesus in this, in this rest that he offers? Uh, that's just kind of common knowledge. And what I'm convinced of is that it's not that we don't know that Jesus says to come to him and we'll receive rest, but we as followers of Jesus often resist it. We often don't actually come to Jesus for rest, and it kind of is like this. Um, here's a, hopefully a helpful illustration for you. I, have, have any of y'all seen a race before? Man, like maybe in downtown Fayetteville or like the run or something like that. Maybe you've ran a 5K, 10K. Maybe you're one of those crazy people who does marathons or Lord help you, triathlons. You're on the bike and in the water and everything. You've seen one of those races. And in those races, there's these long tables with little cups lined up. And beside those tables with cups, there's even little packets of goo that you can grab and slam in your mouth to get that instant boost of energy while you're on this race. And what I've never seen in those races, and, and I, yes, I have ran in a couple of them. I know you're surprised because I'm like, that's not a runner. Uh, like Proverbs says that the, the wicked run when no one's chasing them. And so you're justified in not running if that's you. Um, but here's my point. I think that most of us are too busy running the race of our life to actually slow down and enjoy our times with Jesus. And we trick ourselves uh, into thinking it's those like, well, all I really need are those really straight shots. Give me that, you know, straight shot, that Jesus kick that I need. It's like, like those little goo packets that are going to sustain us for the long haul of following Jesus our entire lives. And yeah, that'll give you, you know, some energy for the moment, but it's not going to take you the distance with following Jesus. It's, it's why I think most of us struggle to actually enjoy spending time with God. I've never seen someone in a race stop in the race to enjoy a steak dinner, or I've never seen someone stop in a race to just like slam some tacos with friends and just have a little time of like, yeah, let's get together, let's have community in the middle of this race. That doesn't happen in the race. And again, many of us are so committed to running the race of our lives as getting more, being more, doing more, buying more, having more, that we just don't even have the palate for anything other than the sugar rush of that feel-good Bible verse. Or a short, like, man, you know everything, Lord, kind of prayer thrown up to God on the way into work. See, I don't want to guilt us this morning, but I, I want us to rather see together this morning that Jesus himself, God himself, is inviting us. We have this invitation from God, from himself, to real rest and intimacy with him. The main point of this sermon this morning is that God invites us into real rest by ceasing from our labor in order to enjoy him. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at that passage that I referenced earlier and look at the surrounding verses in Matthew 25 through 30. 
We'll spend most of our time there reflecting on this invitation from rest from Jesus and how we should live our lives in light of it. If you don't have a Bible and you grabbed one of those black hardback ones on the way in, consider that Bible our gift to you this morning. Just keep it, take it home, read it for yourself. Better yet, read it with others, read it in community with others. We love Jesus and we love the Bible here and we want you to as well. So Matthew 11, this will come up on the screen for us, verses 25 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty five, the words of Christ to us this morning read like this. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, heart of Christ for you. You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, real rest requires three things, according to this passage. One, real rest requires knowing Jesus, knowing who he is. Real rest requires ceasing from your labors, like letting go of the things that you're laboring for, the toil that you've given yourself towards. And real rest requires actually coming to Jesus. Let's think together on that first bit. See, we all try to find rest in, in many of the same ways, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not here in the room. Most people try to find rest in the same exact ways, week in and week out, year in and year out, whether that's working really hard to create a really comfortable life for yourself. Well, if I can work really hard, if I can make enough money, then we can buy enough stuff, and then I'll be, some version, is satisfied. Or maybe it's trying to find the perfect blend of medications to help us get a good night's sleep or the perfect blend of medications in order to help us feel better about ourselves. We try to ingest our way into some sense of rest and comfort. And I'm not against you taking medication at all. But it's, it's where we're at in culture today. Now, another thing is taking vacations. Like, we, we obsess about this perfect, idealized Instagram vacation out there somewhere where we're drinking Mai Tais on a beach. And that's good to do every once in a while. It's a good thing. But the problem is... None of these things are necessarily sinful, but these are ways we try to manufacture real rest and try to make it happen for ourselves. See, God has something else to offer us when it comes to rest, and it's himself. Because Jesus in this passage, he says the most controversial thing about rest he possibly could. He doesn't say that rest is a place. He doesn't say that rest is something that you do or something you gain for yourself or a status that you achieve. He says that real rest is found by coming to him. He says that he is actually the embodiment of real rest. So in the first few verses in this passage, it says that in order for us to come to him, we must first know him, and that we can't even know him unless God the Father reveals Jesus to us. Hear verse 27 again. Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone the Son chooses to reveal to him. So if we want rest, real rest, we've got to know 
who Jesus is. And let me start by just dispelling some kind of common myths about Jesus or the way we limit Jesus in our understanding. First is, Jesus is not just a historical figure. He's not just a, a person of history. Jesus is not just a moral teacher, someone that gave us some good things to think about, maybe some ways to improve our lives. Jesus is not also just a spiritual guru, the one that you kind of want to set up under their feet, glean some stuff and go implement it in your life. No, Jesus is also not some sort of mystical feeling that you get. Jesus isn't, and this is really common right now, of like, well, Jesus is when I feel this. Jesus is when I experience that. No, Jesus is a person. Jesus is God with skin on. Jesus is the second member of the Godhead, that God that has eternally existed as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like we just sang about and confessed in song. Jesus is the Son of God who was miraculously born of a virgin according to the plan of God. Jesus was sent to reverse the curse of death by taking our sins on a cross. Jesus was, is the fulfillment of all the promises of God to bring his people rest in the Old Testament. And since page one of the Bible, rest has been a major theme of the entirety of the Scriptures. Think with me again from the, the story of Scripture. Page one of the Bible, you have God creating everything. And he calls it good. And then what does God do on the seventh day? He what? He rests. Now, God is an infinite being. God is without bounds. Does God get tired? Did God need a nap? No, not even close. So why did God rest on the seventh day? See, God rests as an example for us. And remember, this is pre-fall, pre-sin. Like pre-all pre of Adam and Eve and the snake and all the stuff. This is before all that. So God institutes a pattern of ceasing from labor before our labor is even corrupted by sin. See, sin comes then but God pronounces over mankind that this work, this labor and toil is going to be hard. Those of us that work, no matter our vocation, no matter if you're, you know, you're in the military, you've got a corporate job, or if you're a stay-at-home mom, or you're working somewhere else, man, work is hard. I mean, you put in your time, you, you grind it out, and what do you get at the end of your day? Disappointment. I didn't get done as much as I thought I was going to get done the same thing of the garden, the same thing God told Adam. You're going to work the ground, right? You're going to work really hard for all these good things. And what that's, what's that ground going to do? What's going to produce for you? Thorns and thistles. And at the end of life, you know what's waiting for you? Death. Death. But also in Genesis 3, there is the promise of a rest bringer. One that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent crush the head of sin and death, and finally bring us rest. You can fast forward through the story and see uh, Moses, when, when God gives him the law and part of those, the, the Ten Commandments that we've heard the stories about, uh, back in our Sunday school classes with the flannel graphs, right? Like that one of those Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy, to cease from their labors in worship of God. See, there's this promise that God's people that were given, that God was going to bring them into a land that was like flowing with milk and honey to a place where they would provide for them and where he would bring them rest. 
But even when they get into that, that land, they experience some of that rest. Does it last for very long? No. Again, the kingdom fell and the people went into exile because of their sin. And all throughout the Old Testament, God sent prophets. And the, the theme of the prophets that was repeated was the promise that one day God would send a rescuer, a redeemer, one that would come and really reverse that curse again that was going to the anointed one of God in whom all the promises of God would finally come to fulfillment and he would finally bring them into his rest. And this is where we get to Jesus. And this is why we know, we have to know who Jesus really is. Jesus is the promise of rest by God fully realized because Jesus is the one who could bring us not just rest from uh, from, from sin, not just from death, but also from ourselves. Yes, we need physical rest, but more importantly, we need spiritual rest. And let's get real for a minute. How many of us feel like right now so tired of bearing the weight of your own sins? You feel so burdened by the things around you and overwhelmed with your fears, and overwhelmed with your worries. See, what we need is not just a good nap. And for all of us young parents in the room, can I get an amen? We all need a nap, and that's what Sundays afternoons are for, you know? Whatever season of life, you probably need a nap. But what we really need is rest for our souls, and only Jesus can do that. The only way we can get to that rest is through knowing him, like knowing Jesus' heart for you. And he says of his own heart that he's gentle and lowly. He's meek. He's approachable. Our God is approachable. And the only way you can get that rest is through knowing him, his compassion for you, his love for you despite your sin. Knowing Jesus allows us to actually believe there's more to life than getting more, having more, or escaping into our drug of choice. And our drugs of choice are varied. Food, drink, escapism into video games or Netflix. Maybe you've got secret sin or just scrolling Instagram or Zillow, a drug of choice you keep returning back to instead of returning to Jesus as the source of life and hope. Knowing Jesus is believing that through faith in him, now God is your father and God knows what's best for you. See, God, your father, is proud of you God, your Father, is for you. God himself has shown his love by providing for you rest from your spiritual weariness through the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins on the cross. And this is the invitation of the gospel, to know Jesus and to truly find rest. But real rest is more than just knowing these things in your head. Real rest actually requires that you do something about it. Look, look again at verse 28. Real rest requires ceasing from your labor. Jesus says in verse 28, come to me. That's a command. It requires we do something. All who labor is doing something. And are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Now it might be easy to, me that, uh, to, to miss this in, in just a quick reading of this, but in order to come to Jesus... It actually requires that you cease from your labors. You cease from your work. You cease from your toil. So that just not knowing the facts about Jesus is going to do anything really for you, but you've got to do something about them. In order to, 
come to Jesus and experiencing rest in him means letting go of the things that you're holding on to, like leaving those labors behind you as you go to Jesus. And if you come to Jesus and you don't release those things, you're probably going to be disappointed when you feel like you aren't experiencing deep, real, meaningful rest in Jesus. It's like the example of the race earlier. If we don't realize we must slow down to experience intimacy with God, we are going to feel spiritually exhausted and probably physically exhausted as well. We've all heard the classic trope um, said to people that are going through a bit of anxiety of, well, the world keeps spinning. Or the, the, the invitation, like, just go to sleep, and guess what? When you wake up again, the world, did it keep going? Yeah, it did. How, how worried about you are the same things again? Well, maybe not as worried. See, the world can take hold of that, but we can actually do something with it. Because if you're not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you stop at any point, stop pursuing that thing, Stop going that hard or making uh, those sacrifices in order to gain those things. You have the option. You could risk it and lose it all. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we can believe this truth that the world does keep spinning because we know the God who keeps it spinning. We know that we can, we can invest. We can do good things. We can spread the news of the gospel. And it's ultimately not up to us on whether or not that takes. It is the work of God that does that. Yeah, we can raise our children in amazing ways and point them to Jesus. And we should, and we should be faithful to do those things. But only God can change their broken little hearts towards Jesus. See, in God's universe, there isn't one rogue molecule outside of his perfect will. Only Christians can live and go about our lives in such a way that sees the entire world around them as opportunities to see God's work, God's joyful provision for us. His loving discipline of us, his jealous protection of us. You are his beloved church. His careful correction, also his divine blessing. You've been invested in by God. We get to live every day as followers of Jesus, like every meal is God's provision. Kids in the room, this is why we pray before meals, because we really do believe that God provided that food for us. Every denied opportunity in our life, we can see it as a gift and a likely protection from God because we actually believe God, even though we might plan our own way, God numbers our steps. God's going to help direct our paths in ways. He's going to shepherd and guide us like a good father. And we can wake up in the morning, open our eyes, put our feet on the floor, and believe with reality that every day is a gift See, naturalists and people that don't believe in God, they don't have that. There's no idea of a gift. It's not actually a gift. It's an accident. You're waking up by accident. You're waking up because of a chain reaction that started billions of years ago. But in the economy of God and according to following Jesus, when you open your eyes as a follower of Jesus, that moment is a gift. God gave that to you. God provided for you even in the midst of your sleep to bring you to wake again. But to enjoy life like this requires ceasing from our labor and coming to Jesus. So what does ceasing from our labor actually look like? See, ceasing from our labor means to stop doing things that are toil, right? Back in Genesis narratives, the, the toil is the hard work 
uh, that humanity had to do in order to survive. Think about um, people that lived in an agrarian society. You had to go out into the fields. You had to harvest. You had to bring it in. You had to cook it. You had to clean it. And you had to prepare for everything all the time. All of life was work. You could not drive, go through a drive-thru. You know, there was no such thing as like, uh, you know, like pre-temple Palestine drive-throughs, getting your, you know, your fried chicken on the way to the temple. You couldn't do that. You know, that's not something you could do. There's no convenience. Everything was work. So even in observing the Sabbath, God's people in the Old Testament had to do a lot of work in order to eat that bread. In order to observe the Sabbath, they had to work really hard in order to prepare for the day of coming inactivity. Well, they couldn't just give themselves to that toil. And when that moment came to actually stop and cease from their work, they actually did it. See, Sabbath, for the Old Testament, uh, people of God, was a willful act of obedience to God, but also an act of rebellion against their own sinful nature to act like everything rests on their own shoulders. And I think this invitation is true for us as well. See, the, the same principle is true for us. We often don't stop. We don't slow down. We don't take times of intentional, I'm going to cease from toil in order to just engage with God on a different front. Because that means laying down the idea that we can gain anything by our own power or should gain anything by our own power. This should change our lives as followers of Jesus. And again, we do this all the time. Here's a few ideas that get lodged in my mind. Like if I just work hard enough, then I'll, just, I'll get noticed, I'll get the promotion, I'll feel better about myself, everyone will see how awesome I am. Or maybe you think like this, if I just listen to all the right podcasts, then I'll never make any mistakes, I'm going to be the, the, a parenting guru, I'll never make any mistakes with my kids ever again. And it's just a, it's a giant lie, you're not, you're not going to do that. If, if, or maybe if I work out hard enough, someone will finally notice me. Or maybe I'll just be okay with how I see myself in the mirror. See, all of those things are rooted in our own desire to gain and earn something for ourselves and can be easily disassociated from really believing that God is at work in us and God wants to meet us and God wants to work in and through us. And coming to Jesus doesn't mean that we abandon wise living with work and home and personal fitness, but it, is, it does mean that we don't worship those things. Ceasing from our labor means that we leave behind our obsession with control and comfort or anything else and actually come to Jesus. So in a very practical sense, I'm going to talk about sabbatical for a moment before we talk about just how we implement this in our lives because this is what a sabbatical is actually about. See, it's sadly true in some churches, and maybe you've been in some of these churches, maybe you've sadly seen some pastors kind of burn out because of these thoughts. Pastors can get it lodged in their own heads that everything in the church and the success of the church has to be held together by them. And so they quite literally link everything to their own personhood. They, they hold everything with a tight fist and they burn themselves out in ministry because they can't let go of anything. And then because they, at their core, they may preach the gospel to others, but they don't believe it for themselves. The gospel must be true for the men preaching the gospel up here on the stage as much as it is for you guys in the seats. And if if it's not, it's not good news at all. We must believe the gospel as pastors, as ministry leaders. We must believe that Jesus like, is the one who actually holds together the church. Jesus is the one who leads this church. Jesus is the one who died for his church, and he's going to be the one who calls 
anyone who calls his name all the way through eternity with him. So what sabbaticals are is for a time for rest, to enjoy time with God, and also for those ministry leaders to actually engage with them and how they can really cease from their labors and receive from God rather than pouring out. That God really does hold everything together, and he is the one leading the church. See, at a similar level, each of us are invited into this Sabbath rest from Jesus. That the Old Testament principle, principle is this weekly rhythm by which we are to engage with God, cease from toil to be able to give ourselves fully, or as much as we know how, to Jesus in order to enjoy him. And it's a practice where you acknowledge where you may have left some work undone. There may be dishes in the sink. There may be chores that went undone. There may be tasks in the Slack app. But you rest for that moment. When the moment comes, in the eternal truth, that the most important work has already been finished. It's already been completed by Jesus on the cross. And it's a moment to suspend reality, to enjoy eternal reality and enjoy God through himself and his creation. So coming back to Jesus, how do we come to Jesus? Third point, real rest requires actually coming to Jesus. You can see very clearly now, but real rest requires actually coming to Jesus. So like the runner in the race, uh, in our initial example, some of us can know who Jesus is. We can actually cease from our labors and our inactivity and then not actually engage with Jesus, not actually come to Jesus after we've stopped. And this happens sadly all the time. So for the elementary kids in the room, let's go back to elementary school for a second, church. Remember the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? So you got the tortoise and the hare, and they challenge each other to a race, and here we go. The hare takes off. He almost completes the race, but what does he do at the end? He takes a nap before the finish line, whereas slow and steady tortoise he, he finishes the race slow and steady. And many of us can treat our rest like this, or our engagement with Jesus like this. If Jesus is the finish line, if Jesus is the goal of our rest, we, we must make it all the way through. We don't stop most of the way through and just settle for lesser things. Coming to experience Jesus in real rest means reorienting our mind in all things that Jesus as the source of all hope and joy and truth and peace. And within that heart posture, we come to God and his creation in the light of that reality. Let's talk through a couple of these ways we could do this, just practically, this week, things you could do. Maybe it's in your times of prayer. All of us are going to pray at some point, right? Whether you're in traffic and you're just like, please, Lord, let me make it to work on time. Or maybe it's like, maybe it's a get this guy out, from, uh, out in front of me and you're trying not to pray in precatory prayers against the person driving slow in the fast lane. But when you pray, we talk to God like he's listening. In particular, during these times that we've set aside. But not like he's a, a, just a listener on a one-way radio just waiting for you to get done to get to the next guy. No, we pray to God as our heavenly Father who loves us, who enjoys us, who wants to be with us. He wants to commune with us in prayer. He wants to speak to us. He wants to bring us peace and joy. Maybe it's in the way we enjoy creation. All of us go outside to some extent. Some of us need to go outside a little more, maybe. Or maybe you just got back from the field and I lived outside for like four weeks. And so you're like, hold up, playing Xbox every day. Maybe take a creep outside every once in a while, right? 
enjoy creation. See, we enjoy all those things like taking a bike ride or a walk or watching a sunrise. Maybe it's just cutting the grass or going hunting. We enjoy these things and experiences knowing that the God who spoke creation into existence did so, knowing sovereignly that one day you would be experiencing those moments. That he would want to speak to you and show you himself through those acts of beauty in creation. Maybe it's been being creative. Maybe you need to plant something, write something, sing something, build something, you know, listen to music, build Legos with your kids, do a puzzle. But we participate in those acts of beauty and bringing beauty in the world and enjoy it knowing that we worship a God who is the God of all beauty. He is the one who painted the sun, sunrise. He is the one who gave birth to the idea of music in all things good. This is the way we engage with God in our times of set-aside rest. Maybe we commune with others, enjoying a home-cooked family dinner or a great meal out with friends, or maybe play a game that puts you face-to-face with actual people, hanging out in your backyard with your kids. See, we enjoy those times of communal reality with others in a way that points to the reality of heaven, that we are going to enjoy eternity together with all followers of Jesus forever. We're going to enjoy a meal together, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that points us to the divine reality we are already united in Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus. And finally, the way that you engage with your Bible. See, many of us engage with the Bible that we read, we memorize the pages of the most amazing book in history, and we're convinced of that. But reading our Bibles is more than that. We allow ourselves to linger in God's Word, treat it as our spiritual food and nourishment, So it points us more and more to who Jesus really is because he speaks in and through his word. I want to end with thinking through how we should come to Jesus. What should posture our hearts? And here's three things I think that mark faithful ethos of how we should come to Jesus in our lives. See, coming to Jesus requires intentionality, vulnerability, and discipline. The intentionality is like this. Depending on your work, Uh, season of life or spiritual maturity or other things, you're going to need to consider what coming to Jesus for rest looks like for you. So depending on your season of life, you've got young kids in the home. If you're an empty nester, if you're in the middle stages of of life, uh, what we shouldn't do is people at varying ages of life look at each other and say, you've got it better. I wish I was there. So some of y'all that see people uh, that are younger, see people in their 50s and 60s, and you're like, Yeah, you hear about their stories of intimate time with God, spending an hour and a half together with God in prayer and Bible study a day. And you're like, man, my kids would destroy that within the first five minutes. Like, there's just no way that that would happen. Like, tell me what day I need to carve, time of my life I need to carve out. See, we need to acknowledge that some of us will rest in different ways. Some of us are going to have to have mentally demanding jobs. We'll rest from our mental toil by going on a walk or a hike that might be physically demanding, yet allows us to enjoy God through creation. Others are going to read big books that stir our affection for God as they ponder his complexity and grandeur. And again, most of us, we just need to take an epic nap to the glory of God to remember that the earth keeps spinning when we wake up. Like, we had nothing to do with that. It helps put us in our place and rightly orient ourselves at the feet of Jesus. But again, it doesn't take just intentionality and thinking about season of life. It takes vulnerability. When you actually get to the moment of being able to engage with God in these times of rest, 
daily, weekly patterns, monthly patterns, yearly patterns, it requires vulnerability. Like being willing to bear your soul type vulnerability. Vulnerability to ask God questions. Maybe getting uncomfortable and praying out loud by yourself before God because he's actually listening. Maybe it's journaling your thoughts and like leaving it all on the page. Maybe it's sitting and waiting to hear from God in prayer. That takes vulnerability. It takes the sacrifice of your productivity to be able to do that. Engage with God and maybe it's pondering God's word with others and being vulnerable of asking questions of them. But also this takes discipline. None of this will happen without discipline. We all need rest, and like my sabbatical, it actually takes intentionality and time to prepare for. I mean, when's the last time you found yourself on a relaxing vacation by accident? That's, that's never, okay? You didn't like stumble into a season of just relaxation and just being able to hang out. That's just not something that happens. You have to intentionally plan for those things. You have to prepare for those things, because if not, you're homeless at the end of it. So don't do that. Don't quit your job, you know? Like, you need to work hard for Jesus in that way as well. See, in order to engage in these times with God, it means you're going to have to sacrifice some things in order to spend God and Jesus and experience real rest that only He can bring. This means putting it on your calendar, write it in your journal, tell someone else you plan to do it, and ask them to follow up, or better yet, meet with me next week, and we'll do it after a community group. See, as I prepare for rest over the next few months with my family, um, I want to invite you to consider the ways that God is calling you into rest and calling us into rest as an entire church. We have a season of rest that's coming up for our community groups. And I, I just want to invite you to consider what is God inviting you into over those two months of rest for our community groups, where they're intentionally not meeting so that you can experience flourishing, so that you can engage with God in specific ways, in ways that you are going to lay aside some of those other things in order to engage more specifically or intentionally with God and others. Church, I, um, I don't take the privilege of me being sent on sabbatical lightly, and I am, am incredibly thankful for the generosity you've shown me and my family to send us on sabbatical, and I'm hopeful the sabbatical will be a part of God's provision to sustain me in ministry for decades to come, however long Jesus gives me in ministry, and I don't know. See, I was sent an encouraging email last night with, the kind, with kind words and hopes for my sabbatical, and it included this quote from Hudson Taylor, which is such a fitting word to end on. It'll come up on the screen for us, this quote from Hudson Taylor on rest. Hear this, followers of Jesus. Bear not a single care thyself. One is too much for thee. The work is mine and mine alone, thy work to rest in me. Let me pray that we would. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would take your invitation to rest to heart. Um, Lord Jesus, that we really would believe that you are the place of all true rest and hope, that our desires are actually met in you, and um, that you're actually inviting us to rest in you. Um, you're not just telling us to take our medicine. You're not just asking us to do something that we don't want to do. You're inviting us to seek everything that we could desire, every um, internal need for affirmation, every um, source of true joy. God, I pray that we would 
see and believe and taste and see, Lord Jesus, um, that you really are the source of that. Lord Jesus, I pray um, that you would guide us and lead us and um, that we would accept that invitation to come to you. pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.